0: Ennead Four, Book Seven, Part One, by Plotinus. Translated by Kenneth Sylvan Guthrie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Fourth Ennead, Book Seven. Of the Immortality of the Soul. Polemic against Materialism is the soul immortal one are we immortal or does all of us die another possibility would be that of the two parts of which we are composed the one might be fated to be dissolved and perish while the other that constitutes our very personality might subsist perpetually these problems must be solved by a study of our nature the body as the instrument of the soul man is not a simple being he contains a soul and a body which is united to this soul either as tool or in some other manner this is how we must distinguish the soul from the body and determine the nature and manner of existence being of each of them the body is composite and therefore perishable as the nature of the body is composite reason convinces us that it cannot last perpetually and our senses show it to us dissolved destroyed and decayed because the elements that compose it return to join the elements of the same nature altering destroying them and each other especially when this chaos is abandoned to the soul which alone keeps her parts combined even if a body were taken alone it would not be a unity it may be analyzed into form and matter principles that are necessary to the constitution of all bodies even of those that are simple besides as they contain extension the bodies can be cut, divided into infinitely small parts, and thus perish. Therefore if our body is a part of ourselves, not all of us is immortal. If the body is only the instrument of the soul, as the body is given to the soul only for a definite period, it still is by nature perishable. The soul is the individuality as its form and as a skilled workman the soul which is the principal part of man and which constitutes man himself should bear to the body the relation of form to matter or of a workman to his tool in both cases the soul is the man himself if the soul is incorporeal we must study incorporeality two what then is the nature of the soul if she is a body she can be decomposed as every body is a composite if on the contrary she is not a body if hers is a different nature the latter must be examined either in the same way that we have examined the body or in some other way a the soul is not corporeal as the Stoics thought. Brackets A. Neither a material molecule, nor a material aggregation of material atoms, could possess life and intelligence. First, let us consider the nature of this alleged soul body. As every soul necessarily possesses life, and as the body considered as being the soul, must obtain at least two molecules if not more there are three possibilities either only one of them possesses life or all of them possess it or none of them if one molecule alone possesses life it alone will be the soul of what nature will be that molecule supposed to possess life by itself will it be water hippo air anaximenes archelaus and diogenes earth or fire heraclitus stobius but those are elements that are inanimate by themselves and which even when they are animated possess but a borrowed life still there is no other kind of body even those philosophers like the pythagoreans who posited elements other than water air earth and fire still considered them to be bodies and not souls not even attributing souls to them the theory that life results from the union of molecules of which nevertheless none by itself possesses life is an absurd hypothesis if further any molecule possesses life then a single one would be sufficient neither mixture nor its principle will explain life as a body the most irrational theory of all is that an aggregation of molecules should produce life that elements without intelligence should beget intelligence others like alexander of aphrodisia insist that to produce life these elements must be mingled in a certain manner that would however imply as thought galen and hippocrates the existence of a principle which produces order and which should be the cause of mixture or temperament and that should alone deserve being considered as soul no simple bodies could exist much less composite bodies unless there was a soul in the universe for it is seminal reason which in adding itself to matter produces body but surely a seminal reason could proceed from nowhere except a soul no atomic aggregation could produce a self harmonizing unity three brackets b no aggregation of atoms could form a whole that would be one and sympathetic with itself others on the contrary insist that the soul is constituted by the union of atoms or indivisibles as thought leucippus democritus and epicurus to refute this error we have to examine the nature of sympathy or community of affection a stoic characteristic of a living being and juxtaposition on the one hand an aggregation of corporeal molecules which are incapable of being united and which do not feel cannot form a single sympathetic whole such as is the soul which is sympathetic with herself. On the other hand, how could a body or extension be constituted by a juxtaposition of atoms? Soul is a simple substance, while every body is composed of matter and form. Brackets C. Every body is a composite of matter and form, while the soul is a simple substance inasmuch as matter possesses no quality the matter of no simple body will be said to possess life in itself that which imparts life to it must then be its form if form is a being the soul cannot simultaneously be matter and form it will be only matter or form consequently the soul will not be the body since the body is not constituted by matter exclusively as could be proved analytically if necessary if soul is only an affection of matter whence that affection Brackets D. Brackets the soul is not a simple manner of being of matter because matter could not give itself a form some stoics might deny that form was a being asserting the soul to be a mere affection or manner of being of matter from whence then did matter acquire this affection and animating life surely matter itself could not endow itself with a form and a soul that which endows matter or any body with life must then be some principle alien and superior to corporeal nature no body could subsist without the power of the universal soul brackets e no body could subsist without the power of the universal soul besides no body could subsist without the power of the universal soul from numenius every body indeed is in a perpetual flow and movement as thought heraclitus in plato cortilus and the world would soon perish if it contained nothing but bodies even if some one of them were to be called soul for such a soul being composed of the same matter as the other bodies would undergo the same fate that they do or rather there would not even be any body everything would remain in the condition of shapeless matter, since there would exist no principle to fashion it. Why, there would not even be any matter, and the universe would be annihilated to nothingness, if the care of keeping its parts united were entrusted to some body which would have nothing but the name of soul, as, for instance, to air, or a breath without cohesion, which could not be one by itself as all bodies are divisible if the universe depended on a body it would be deprived of intelligence and given up to chance how indeed could there be any order in a spirit which itself would need to receive order from a soul how could this spirit contain reason and intelligence on the hypothesis of the existence of the soul all these elements serve to constitute the body of the world and of every animal because all different bodies together work for the end of all but without the soul there is no order and even nothing exists any more if the soul is not simple matter she must be a substantial form for F. if the soul is anything but simple matter she must be constituted by a substantial form those who claim that the soul is a body are by the very force of the truth forced to recognize the existence before and above them of a form proper to the soul for they acknowledge the existence of an intelligent spirit and an intellectual fire as do the Stoics, following in the footsteps of Heraclitus, Stobius. According to them, it seems that without spirit or fire there cannot be any superior nature in the order of beings, and that the soul needs a location where she may be built up. On the contrary, it is bodies alone that need to be built up on something, and indeed, they are founded on the powers of the soul. If really we do believe that the soul and life are no more than a spirit, why add the qualification of a certain characteristic? A meaningless term employed when forced to admit an active nature superior to that of bodies. As there are thousands of inanimate spirits, not every spirit is a soul if only that spirit is a soul which possesses that special characteristic this special characteristic and this manner of being will either be something real or will be nothing if they are nothing there will be nothing real but spirit and this alleged manner of being is nothing more than a word in that system therefore nothing but matter really exists god the soul and all other things are no more than a word the body alone really subsists if on the contrary that manner of being is something real if it is anything else than substrate or matter if it resides in matter without being material or composed of matter it must then be a nature different from the body namely a reason by a pun the body exerts a uniform action while the soul exerts a varied one brackets g the body exerts an uniform action while the soul exerts a very diverse action the following considerations further demonstrate the impossibility of the soul being a body. A body must be hot or cold, hard or soft, liquid or solid, black or white, or qualities differing according to its nature. If it is only hot or cold, light or heavy, black or white, it communicates its only quality to what comes close to it for fire could not cool nor ice heat nevertheless the soul produces not only different effects in different animals but contrary effects even in the same being she makes certain things solid dense black light and certain others liquid sparse white or heavy according to the different quality of the body and according to its colour she should produce but a single effect nevertheless she exerts a very diverse action three more proofs of the incorporeity of the soul five brackets each the body has but a single kind of motion while the soul has different ones if the soul is a body how does it happen that she has different kinds of motion instead of a single one as is the case with the body will these movements be explained by voluntary determinations and by seminal reasons in this case neither the voluntary determinations nor these reasons, which differ from each other, can belong to a single and simple body. Such a body does not participate in any particular reason, except by the principle that made it hot or cold. Bodies can lose parts. Not so the soul. Brackets, I. Souls cannot, as do bodies, lose or gain parts ever remaining identical the body has the faculty of making its organs grow within a definite time and in fixed proportions from where could the soul derive them its function is to grow not to cause growth unless the principle of growth be comprehended within its material mass if the soul that makes the body grow was herself a body she should on uniting with molecules of a nature similar to hers develop a growth proportional to that of the organs in this case the molecules that will come to add themselves to the soul will be either animate or inanimate if they are animate how could they have become such and from whom will they have received that characteristic if they are not animate how will they become such and how will agreement between them and the first soul arise how will they form but a single unity with her and how will they agree with her will they not constitute a soul that will remain foreign to the former who will not possess her requirements of knowledge this aggregation of molecules that would thus be called soul will resemble the aggregation of molecules that form our body she would lose parts she would acquire new ones she will not be identical but if we had a soul that was not identical memory and self-consciousness of our own faculties would be impossible the soul is everywhere entire that is not the case with the body brackets j the soul being one and simple is everywhere entire and has parts that are identical to the whole this is not the case with the body if the soul is a body she will have parts that are not identical with the whole as every body is by nature divisible if then the soul has a definite magnitude of which she cannot lose anything without ceasing to be a soul she will by losing her parts change her nature as happens to every quantity if on losing some part of its magnitude a body notwithstanding remains identical in respect to quality it does not nevertheless become different from what it was in respect to quantity and it remains identical only in respect to quality which differs from quantity what shall we answer to those who insist that the soul is a body will they say that in the same body each part possesses the same quality as the total soul and that the case is similar with the part of a part then quantity is no longer essential to the nature of the soul which contradicts the hypothesis that the soul needed to possess a definite magnitude besides the soul is everywhere entire now it is impossible for a body to be entire in several places simultaneously or have parts identical to the whole if we refuse the name of soul to each part the soul is then composed of inanimate parts besides if the soul is a definite magnitude she cannot increase or diminish without ceasing to be a soul but it often happens that from a single conception or from a single germ are born two or more beings as is seen in certain animals in whom the germs divide in this case each part is equal to the whole however superficially considered this fact demonstrates that the principle in which the part is equal to the whole is essentially superior to quantity and must necessarily lack any kind of quantity on this condition alone can the soul remain identical when the body loses its quantity because she has need of no mass, no quantity, and because her essence is of an entirely different nature. The soul and the seminal reasons, therefore, possess no extension. The body could not possess sensation. Six brackets K. The body could not possess either sensation, thought, or virtue if the soul were a body she would not possess either sensation thought science virtue nor any of the perfections that render her more beautiful here follows the proof impossibility for the body to have sensation the subject that perceives a sense object must itself be single and grasp this object in its totality by one and the same power this happens when by several organs we perceive several qualities of a single object or when by a single organ we embrace a single complex object in its totality as for instance a face it is not one principle that sees the face and another one that sees the eyes it is the same principle which embraces everything at once doubtless we do receive a sense-impression by the eyes and another by the ears but both of them must end in some single principle how indeed could any decision be reached about the difference of sense-impressions unless they all converged towards the same principle the latter is like a centre and the individual sensations are like radii which from the circumference radiate towards the centre of a circle this central principle is essentially single if it was divisible and if sense impressions were directed towards two points at a distance from each other such as the extremities of the same line they would either still converge towards one and the same point as for instance the middle of the line or one part would feel one thing and another something else it would be absolutely as if i felt one thing and you felt another when placed in the presence of one and the same thing as thought aristotle de anima facts therefore demonstrate that sensations centre in one and the same principle as visible images are centred in the pupil of the eye otherwise how could we through the pupil see the greatest objects so much the more therefore must the sensations that centre in the stoic directing principle resemble indivisible intuitions and be perceived by an indivisible principle if the latter possessed extension it could like the sense-object be divided each of its parts would thus perceive one of the parts of the sense-object and nothing within us would grasp the object in its totality the subject that perceives must then be entirely one otherwise how could it be divided in that case it could not be made to coincide with the sense-object as two equal figures superimposed on each other because the directing principle does not have an extension equal to that of the sense-object how then will we carry out the division must the subject that feels contain as many parts as there are in the sense-object will each part of the soul in its turn feel by its own parts or will we decide that the parts of parts will not feel. Neither is that likely. If, on the other hand, each part feels the entire object, and if each magnitude is divisible to infinity, the result is that for a single object there will be an infinity of sensations in each part of the soul, and so much the more an infinity of images in the principle that directs us this however is the opposite of the actual state of affairs against the stoics sensations are not impressions of a seal on wax besides if the principle that feels were corporeal it could feel only so long as exterior objects produced in the blood or in the air some impression similar to that of a seal on wax if they impressed their images on wet substances as is no doubt supposed these impressions would become confused as images in water and memory would not occur if however these impressions persisted they would either form an obstacle to subsequent ones and no further sensation would occur or they would be effaced by the new ones which would destroy memory if then the soul is capable of recalling earlier sensations and having new ones to which the former would form no obstacle it is because she is not corporeal sensation cannot be relayed from sense-organ to directing principle seven the same reflections may be made about pain, and one's feeling of it. When a man's finger is said to give him pain, this no doubt is a recognition that the seat of the pain is in the finger, and that the feeling of pain is experienced by the directing principle. Consequently, when a part of the spirit suffers, this suffering is felt by the directing principle, and shared by by the whole soul. How can this sympathy be explained? By relay transmission, the Stoic will answer. The sense-impression is felt first by the animal spirit that is in the finger, and then transmitted to the neighbouring part, and so on till it reaches the directing part. Necessarily, if the pain is felt by the first part that experiences it, it will also be felt by the second part to which it is transmitted then by the third and so on until the one pain would have caused an infinite number of sensations last the directing principle will perceive all these sensations adding thereto its own sensation speaking strictly however each of these sensations will not transmit the suffering of the finger but the suffering of one of the intermediate parts for instance the second sensation will relay the suffering of the hand the third that of the arm and so on until there will be an infinity of sensations the directing principle for its part will not feel the pain of the finger but its own it will know none but that it will pay no attention to the rest because it will ignore the pain suffered by the finger therefore relayed sensation is an impossibility nor could one part of the body perceive the suffering felt by another part for the body has extension and in every extension parts are foreign to each other the opposite of the opinion of cleanthes nemesius consequently the principle that feels must everywhere be identical with itself, and, among all beings, the body is that which is least suitable to this identity. The body cannot think. 8. If in any sense whatever the soul were a body, we could not think. Here is the proof if feeling is explained as the soul's laying hold of perceptible things by making use of the body thinking cannot also be making use of the body otherwise thinking and feeling would be identical thus thinking must consist in perceiving without the help of the body as thought aristotle so much the more the thinking principle cannot be corporeal since it is sensation that grasps sense objects it must likewise be thought or intellection that grasps intelligible objects though this should be denied it will be admitted that we think certain intelligible entities and that we perceive entities that have no extension how could an entity that had extension think one that had no extension, or a divisible entity, think an indivisible one. Could this take place by an indivisible part? In this case the thinking subject will not be corporeal, for there is no need that the whole subject be in contact with the object. It would suffice if one of its parts reached the object, as Aristotle said against Plato, if then this truth be granted that the highest thoughts must have incorporeal objects the latter can be cognized only by a thinking principle that either is or becomes independent of body even the objection that the object of thought is constituted by the forms inherent in matter implies that these forces cannot be thought unless by intelligence they are separated from matter. It is not by means of the carnal mass of the body, nor generally by matter, that we can effect the abstraction of triangle, circle, line, or point. To succeed in this abstraction, the soul must separate from the body, and consequently the soul cannot be corporeal. The body cannot possess virtue neither do beauty or justice possess extension i suppose and their conception must be similar these things can be cognized or retained only by the indivisible part of the soul if the latter were corporeal where indeed could virtues prudence justice and courage exist in this case virtues as critias thought would be no more than a certain disposition of the spirit or blood as empedocles also thought for instance courage and temperance would respectively be no more than a certain irritability and a fortunate temperament of the spirit beauty would consist in the agreeable shape of outlines which cause persons in whom they occur to be called elegant and handsome. Under this hypothesis indeed, the types of spirit might possess vigour and beauty. But what need would it have of temperance? On the contrary, the spirit would seek to be agreeably affected by the things it touches and embraces. To enjoy a moderate heat, a gentle coolness and to be in contact only with sweet tender and smooth entities what incentive would the spirit have to apportion rewards to those who had deserved them if virtue were corporeal it would be perishable are the notions of virtue and other intelligible entities by the soul thought eternal or does virtue arise and perish if so by what being and how will it be formed it is the same problem that remains to be solved intelligible entities must therefore be eternal and immutable like geometrical notions and consequently cannot be corporeal further the subject in whom they exist must be of a nature similar to theirs and therefore not be corporeal for the nature of body is not to remain immutable but to be in a perpetual flow bodies are active only by means of incorporeal powers 9. there are men who locate the soul in the body so as to give her a foundation in some sphere of activity to account for the various phenomena in the body such as getting hot or cold pushing on or stopping and the like they evidently do not realize that bodies produce these effects only through incorporeal powers and that those are not the powers that we attribute to the soul which are thought sensation reasoning desire judiciousness propriety and wisdom all of them entities that cannot possibly be attributes of a corporeal entity. Consequently those materialists attribute to the body all the faculties of incorporeal essences, and leave nothing for the latter. Why bodies are activated by incorporeal powers? The proof that bodies are activated only by incorporeal faculties be proved as follows quantity and quality are two different things every body has a quantity but not always a quality as in the case of matter according to the stoic definition that it was a body without quality but possessing magnitude granting this you stoic will also be forced to admit that as quality is something different from quantity it must consequently be different from the body since then every body has a quantity how could quality which is no quantity be a body besides as we said above every body and mass is altered by division nevertheless when a body is cut into pieces every part preserves the entire quality without undergoing alteration for instance every molecule of honey possesses the quality of sweetness as much as all the molecules taken together consequently that sweetness cannot be corporeal and other qualities must be in a similar case moreover if the active powers were corporeal they would have to have a material mass proportional to their strength or weakness. Now, there are great masses that have little force, and small ones that have great force, demonstrating that power does not depend on extension, and should be attributed to some substance without extension. Finally, you may say that matter is identical with body, and produces different beings only by receiving different qualities the stoics considering that even the divinity was no more than modified matter their two principles being matter and quality the latter however was also considered as body how do you stoics not see that qualities thus added to matter are reasons that are primary and immaterial do not object that when the spirit breath and blood abandon animals they cease to live for if these things are necessary to life there are for our life many other necessities even during the presence of the soul as thought nemesius besides neither spirit nor blood are distributed to every part of the body the soul can penetrate the body but two bodies cannot penetrate each other Brackets, ten. the soul penetrates the whole body while an entire body cannot penetrate another entire body further if the soul is corporeal and pervades the whole body she will with the body form as alexander of aphrodisia pointed out a mixture similar to the other bodies that are constituted by a mixture of matter and quality as the stoics taught now as none of the bodies that enter into a mixture is in actualization the soul instead of being in actualization in the bodies would be in them only potentially consequently she would cease to be a soul as the sweet ceases to be sweet when mingled with the bitter we would therefore have no soul left if when one body forms a mixture with another body total penetration occurs so that each molecule contains equal parts of two bodies and that each body be distributed equally in the whole space occupied by the mass of the other without any increase of volume nothing that is not divided will remain indeed mixture operates not only between the larger parts which would be no more than a simple juxtaposition but the two bodies must penetrate each other mutually even if smaller it would indeed be impossible for the smaller to equal the greater still when the smaller penetrates the larger it must divide it entirely if the mixture operates in this manner in every part and if no undivided part of the mass remain the body must be divided into points which is impossible indeed were this division pushed to infinity since every body is fully divisible bodies will have to be infinite not only potentially but also in actuality it is therefore impossible for one entire body to penetrate another in its entirety. Now, as the soul penetrates the entire body, the soul must be incorporeal, as thought Nemesius. The Stoic development from habit to soul and intelligence would make the perfect arise from the imperfect, an impossibility. (Brackets 11 if as stoics claim man first was a certain nature called habit then a soul and last an intelligence the perfect would have arisen from the imperfect which is impossible to say that the first nature of the soul is to be a spirit and that this spirit became soul only after having been exposed to cold and as it were became soaked by its contact because the cold subtilized it this is an absurd hypothesis many animals are born in warm places and do not have their soul exposed to action of cold under this hypothesis the primary nature of the soul would have been made dependent on the concourse of exterior circumstances the Stoics therefore posit as principle that which is less perfect, the soul, and trace it to a still less perfect earlier thing called habit, or form of inorganic things. Intelligence therefore is posited in the last rank, since it is alleged to be born of the soul, while on the contrary the first rank should be assigned to intelligence the second to the soul the third to nature and following natural order consider that which is less perfect as the posterior element in this system the divinity by the mere fact of his possessing intelligence is posterior and begotten possessing only an incidental intelligence the result would therefore be that there was neither soul nor intelligence nor divinity for never can that which is potential pass to the condition of actualization without the prior existence of some actualized principle if what is potential were to transform itself into actualization which is absurd its passage into actualization will have to involve at the very least a contemplation of something which is not merely potential but actualized nevertheless on the hypothesis that what is potential can permanently remain identical it will of itself pass into actualization and will be superior to the being which is potential only because it will be the object of the aspiration of such a being we must therefore assign the first rank to the being that has a perfect and incorporeal nature which is always in actualization thus intelligence and soul are prior to nature the soul therefore is not a spirit and consequently no body other reasons for the incorporeality of the soul have been advanced but the above suffices as thought Aristotle. End of Ennead Four, Book Seven, Part One.